Welcome to the Louder Vision Podcast for Creative People. I'm filmmaker, artist, and your host, Laura Mioli. I'm also author of the book, Clarity for Your Creative Career, which is actually a compilation and reflection on past episodes of this show. So it's been a while since I've last recorded, and to give you a quick update, I've actually found my ideal creative career, where I can make videos and take photos every day. And I'm also in grad school right now. I'm learning about instructional design, which is kind of an exploration of my two passions. So filmmaking and teaching put together. So how do we teach people through media? And today's podcast is going to be a little bit different from the past format of this show. Instead of finding out about a person and their career, we're actually going to be focusing on a topic that's really interesting, the health implications of sitting for work. So today's subject matter expert is Dr. Edward Cambridge of Cambridge Sport and Spine and BackFit Pro. He is a kinesiology graduate, doctor of chiropractic, and an expert in spine and hip biomechanics. So he's really the perfect person to talk to about this topic of sitting for work, which he calls occupational sitting. Whether you're a graphic designer, video editor, or really anyone who sits at a computer for most of the day, which is a lot of us, this is a really important subject. So let's jump right into our interview with Dr. Edward Cambridge and learn about creating our ideal workspace for optimal health. What's up, Doc? Thank you for joining me today. Oh, you're more than welcome, and thank you for having me. Start by telling everyone about what you do at Cambridge Sport and Spine. Okay, well, that's my clinic. Uh, I, I see really complex back pain patients from across, actually, uh, your country and mine, the Canadian uh, Canada and the United States, um, and uh, I, I do an evaluation that's uh, very in-depth and thorough. It takes me a half a day usually to see one patient, mm -hmm. so I usually see about two patients a day, and uh, I give them a biomechanical assessment of their back pain and give them a, a strategy if I think I can help them on how to get out of their, their back troubles. That's a lot more care than a lot of doctors <laughs> would take with their patients. Yeah, it is. I, I don't know if I have a reply to that question or comment <laughs> or not. <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the amount of time it requires, in my opinion, to do a very thorough assessment and, and give someone uh, informative advice on their back pain because uh, too many clinicians just put you into the back pain category mm -hmm. And say, okay, well, for back pain, we do this, this, and this. And uh, I'm sort of going on a tangent with your response here, but <laughs> we wouldn't do that for anything else. We wouldn't do it for leg pain or arm mm -hmm. pain or headaches. You know, headaches have numerous classifications and subcategories. And uh, the, the headache docs are quite good at differentially diagnosing all the different types of headaches but mm -hmm. uh, with back pain we just lump it all into one category and say oh well that patient's got back pain but that's uh, that's not our approach yeah well that's great and and speaking of that let's get into the subject at hand because everyone is different but a lot of us do sit for work where video editors graphic designers or really it could be anyone who sits at a desk for most of the day so it's eight hours or more in this sedentary position and we're just staring at a computer um, with this kind of routine what are some of the common health problems that we can expect 
Well, there, there's uh, numerous research being done on uh, uh, occupational sitting because we are, as our world changes and we become more uh, dependent on these computers to do our work, uh, there, there's numerous studies out all the time, and I'll speak just generally and then I'll get a little bit more specific into back pain, but mm -hmm. obviously you, you mentioned it right in your question, sedentary lifestyles and the risks associated with that we all know about obesity and heart disease and all of that sort of thing is now being linked to occupational sitting um, on the other hand in our in my area it, it's occupational low back pain uh, resulting from uh, prolonged sitting uh, after several days taking its toll days weeks months mm -hmm. uh, all adding up so there's a bit of an overview of, of uh, the whole problem, but uh, specifically to back pain, there's definitely uh, a mounting amount of evidence now for the relationship between sitting and, and back pain. Okay, and, and what other health risks are associated with it besides back pain? Because you said that everyone is different. Yeah, well, that's all related to the sedentary behavior. So mm -hmm. um, it, it's not uncommon for someone uh, in this day and age to just sit in traffic for an hour or an hour and a half to get to work, then sit at work for, as you mentioned, eight or nine hours a day, and then sit in traffic at the mm -hmm. end of the day. And they're not getting the exercise they need, the, the activity they need to keep their their heart healthy and their mm -hmm. body healthy and, and all that. So it, aside from my area, which is low back pain and biomechanics, um, th there's a whole myriad of health concerns uh, with our with our current uh, society and their lifestyle. And it's becoming common in most workplaces that we have two screens, sometimes three. So we're not just sitting, but we have this this position where we're looking in one position all day. We have our neck cranked to either the left or right and what impact can this have on our bodies yeah well you say that to me as I'm standing here at my workstation <laughs> with three screens in front of me so uh, the idea with multiple screens is that you're you're not um, applying the load to the same tissues and you're, you're getting a little bit of variety so to speak at least in your neck movement and visual gaze which is causing you to uh, hopefully move your neck around a little bit and, and look from side to side at these different screens. So that that's the sort of goal with multiple screens. Um, in terms of, you know, what's the best scenario for a setup uh, uh, of multiple screens, um, there, there isn't one, to be quite honest with you. Okay. Um, in, in the early part of ergonomics, which is sort of workplace health, um, they they shot for an ideal setup you, you should be in this position with the screen at, at this many inches above your uh desk height and mm -hmm. and so on and so forth but that isn't really the case if you, if you look at all the biomechanical data and, and the new ergonomic data basically the, the best thing you can do is change your workstation okay so if you were a typical uh nine to fiver you came in in the morning and worked for a couple of hours and then took a break. At your break time, what could you switch at your desk? Could you put your feet on a footstool? Could you change the incline of your backrest? Mm -hmm. Could you change the height of your keyboard? Could you change the height of your seat or the height of your screen and make some sort of profound desk change uh, for the next couple of hours you were going to be at your desk? 
and then you go to lunch and you do the same thing. So you have maybe three or four different setups throughout the day so that what it's called in biomechanics is load sharing. So mm-hmm. the same tissue is not being loaded in the same way for eight hours. You're essentially sharing that load amongst different tissues by mm-hmm. just changing the force concentrations in your back. So when we're sitting, there's actually a high amount of compression on the disc. But if we can change the angle of the seat or change our position a little bit, we'll alter that load and give some tissues a little bit of rest and, and load some other tissues a little bit more. So that's how we look at it. Okay, so we want to vary our positions. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, beyond those big work stations, uh, if I have a patient, now I'm speaking very specifically to a, you know, a, a patient I have in mind, um, and their pain threshold was, say, 30 minutes. After 30 minutes of sitting, they'd break into pain. Well, I wouldn't let them go into pain. So Mm -hmm. at 20 minutes, I would give them a strategy to get up from their desk, do a 20-second micro break, and then get back to work and see if that built them some some increased capacity to sit for a little bit longer again. And then in 20 minutes again, they'd have to get up and do a a break. So, you know, I – so generically, I call it the 20-20 rule. Mm -hmm. If you sit for 20 minutes, you owe me 20 seconds. Okay. And the good thing for, for those who are sort of under the thumb of a supervisor is there's other ergonomic data that's shown that actually work uh, productivity increases with micro breaks, mm-hmm. such as I'm describing. So they're not long breaks, but they're enough for the tissue just to get sort of moved around and mobilized a little bit. And uh, then you can, uh, you can find it quite restorative. And what do we want to do during these micro breaks? Well, um, my supervisor, uh, Dr. McGill, has, has his version of a, we call it a McGill micro break. If you imagine yourself just standing up from your chair and you take your hands and reach to the ceiling. Now, an interesting little uh, tidbit for your viewers is they'll find out about fascia. Now, I know I'm not speaking to a medical community, so fascia is the... Uh, stuff that goes around muscles Mm -hmm. it's sort of like a saran wrap you can think of it like that and it wraps around muscles and it connects between muscles Mm -hmm. so to stretch your back the safest way is actually not by bending or twisting or applying a real uh, movement to your spine but actually stretching the muscles through the fascia so try this at home if you're listening and and stand up from your desk reach to the ceiling with your fingertips going up to the ceiling some of you will feel a lifting up of all of your sort of fascia connecting from your sort of your waist all the way up to your fingertips. Others won't. They won't feel that stretch until they take the palm of their hand and try and press it up to the ceiling and all of a sudden they'll feel the stretch that goes right down their arms into their core and provides a little fascial stretch. Mm-hmm. So for those people, they have a very thick uh we call it an aponeurosis connection into their palm of their hand. So that's where their fascia connects, and that's the best way for them to stretch it out. And you hold that position for about 20 seconds with your palms pressing towards the ceiling, trying to touch the stars, as I sometimes mm-hmm. call it. And uh, that, that's a great little 20-second micro break. 
and then you go back and resume your work and activity and maybe you need to change your station at that point or maybe you're okay to continue on for a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So each person really has a different threshold for how long they can be in one position. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in terms of triggering their pain. Now, mechanically speaking, we, we've done some studies with, with uh, stretching out the spine, and we know that males and females are a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, the, the phenomenon that we measured was called creep. Creep is a mechanical principle um, which describes as you load a tissue under the same load, the same amount of force, the tissue will stretch over time. That stretch or displacement is called creep. Okay. And we know that after, uh, say, 40 minutes, you've undergone quite a bit of creep in your spine or stretch. And it takes uh, males actually quite a bit longer than females to restore that stiffness in their in their tissue, which that stiffness is quite important. You don't want to be loose and, and uh, sort of uh, too loose. That can uh, really affect your uh, spine and its health in terms of how you are able to control your spine and move and move, as well as your muscles, because your muscles can get inhibited from a decrease in what's called the stretch reflex. Hopefully, that wasn't too much. Uh, medical no. <laughs> uh, jargon, but I, I hope I didn't lose you in that big description. No, I think I, I kind of understand it from a yoga point of view. So in yoga, we try to put our body in the opposite direction of what is tight. So we kind of stretch out the opposite muscle. And I've done in the past foundation training with Dr. Eric Goodman. Mm -hmm. And I'll share that link in the description, but it kind of has the same principle. So we're sitting all day for work. We're in one position where we're kind of bent forward. But the the main exercise for foundation training and also for DDP yoga, which is another great resource for people, is that we put our hands back and we kind of stretch our our body in the opposite way of what we're used to, which is the sitting crouch position. Yeah, well, the the other one I can do for this is I, I sometimes use for a low back pain patient, but sometimes it's also a neck pain patient. Mm -hmm. um, and I, it, it's called, as far as I know, going back to Bruger and Bruger's relief position. So if you slide on your chair, and, and the folks listening at home can try this one as well, if you slide to the chair so your sitting bones those are your ischial tuberosities, are sort of right on the edge of your chair. That will force your low back to, to maintain its upright position. And then uh, you take your thumbs, which are at your side, and, and steer the thumbs around to the back. You'll feel the front of your chest open up, your pectoralis muscles. And then you tuck your chin straight back. And that provides a nice relief for that patient that gets a sort of a nagging neck after a long day of, mm. of looking at the computer and the screen. So there's another micro break position, and I would hold that for about 20 seconds That's for that right. patient that uh, gets a bit of a sore neck. And so what about standing desks? Um, it sounds like from what you're saying, the standing desk provides relief because we're changing our position. But do they make us any less susceptible to these kinds of health issues? 
Well, anecdotally, I can tell you this. I've had several patients switch to a standing desk, and, and they don't use them all that well. Mm-hmm. They'll stand all day long. And that's the patient. In fact, I just had one of these describe this exact thing to me just uh, uh, on Saturday when I was seeing him in the, in the office. And he stands all day at a standing desk, and he tells me, describes this to me. Gee, Doc, I get a great night's sleep, and I wake up in the morning, and I feel terrific. I'm restored, and I'm ready to go. But, you know, uh, I don't quite have the same back pain I did when I was sitting all day, but mm-hmm. now... Uh, my back gets worn out at the end of the day and I just, it gets grumpy and I feel a bit tired mm-hmm. and I just don't have anything left. So I, he described what he was doing and he got a standing desk and now he stands all day at work. <laughs> so he went from one extreme to the other. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, I have them rotate between sitting and standing and the evidence has, has supported that too. And, and it comes all back to that original uh, description I gave you of load sharing. You don't want to be in any one position for too long. Mm -hmm. So if someone is just switching to a standing uh, desk, I I sort of do one third and two thirds, two thirds sitting if that's what you're used to, and then Mm -hmm. one third standing. So in between those micro breaks, they might do a micro break and then stand for 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. then do another micro break and then sit for 40. Okay. So, so they'll break up their day that way and it'll provide, uh, that they may have to play around with the ratios to get it individualized, but there there's sort of a general guideline of how you can use a standing desk more mm-hmm. appropriately than <laughs> than standing yeah. for eight hours because that won't uh, that that'll wear you out too. Yeah, I've definitely had the same same kind of issues. Sitting hurts in one way, but then when I'm standing too long, then I get a different kind of back pain. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So unfortunately. For some, it's almost seems inescapable, but I think that uh, a really clear understanding of why your back gets injured in the first place, you can sort of find the root cause of all this mm-hmm. and, uh, and then provide some information that helps patients. So for people with herniated discs or uh, major issues with their back, would you recommend that they have a surgery or would you say that by implementing these kind of techniques of um, load sharing and moving around that they could overcome all of that? Well, again, you've asked a very specific question about uh, a very general group. So within the disc uh, herniation community, there's a wide variety of severities and um, problems that are associated. And unfortunately, pain is not always the best indicator. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in I, again, I can't make a very uh, specific answer to your mm-hmm. question because I don't know who the patient is and I don't know what they're suffering from. Just having a disc, it, it certainly narrows down that big umbrella of low back pain, but now it's under an equally large bucket mm-hmm. uh, of different varieties of disc complications. So I can't give you a specific advice there, but I can tell you that a lot of my patients have been told they're doomed to surgery, mm-hmm. need it, and that's the only thing that will help them. And we sort out their back and find out what the pain triggers are, eliminate their pain triggers as best we can from their daily activities, build them up so they're a bit more robust with exercises that don't continue to aggravate their back, 
and uh, we, we uh, are able to uh, prevent quite a few from needing surgery. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's no generic answer, but uh, no, you're not doomed if you have been diagnosed with a disc herniation to surgery. There's a lot uh, that you can do before you get to that route. But certainly some patients need surgery. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have no problem referring them when I think that's in their best interest. Of course. And not to endorse any specific type of chair or desk, what are the best no, yeah. types of, what would you recommend for people with back pain, somewhere, something that you can adjust as a desk um, that would work best for someone who sits all day? Well, again, yeah, it's all dependent now on, Uh, anthropometrics which is body type and body size Mm -hmm. so uh, I I, even if you wanted me to I couldn't give you a name (laughs) or a brand because it's got to fit the person and it's got to fit the desk and that whole integration between chair size desk size and person size all has to fit in so um, yeah I don't know if I'm much help there but you certainly the more adjustments you have on your chair uh, that will be a help to you to Find those different workstations that allow you to load share and change their positions so you're not in the same position all the time. So that will be one thing for sure that you can try. Um, but again, the, the changes don't all have to come to the chair too. I mean, there's some changes on a chair that I look at and I think, wow, would anyone ever actually use that? So <laughs> the problem with air is the more buttons they put on your chair, the more expensive it gets. Mm-hmm. And you don't need a $600 chair to be good. Um, you, you need one that fit. You need one that fits you. Yeah, a lot of the the adjustments on on our standard office chair, we don't use them. So it's interesting that you say we have to switch our position because if you look at any kind of ergonomics training, it would say this this is how you set up your ideal position. It doesn't mention that you should be moving this position. Yeah, so that's the old school of ergonomics, in my opinion. Um, I, I think uh, that they're far more savvy now in terms of uh, adjusting the workstation and, and mm-hmm. finding a few positions of ideal for that individual uh, to rest your back. As I said, if you're inclined uh, just a little bit, a few degrees, all of that creates friction of your back on the backrest. Well, all that load is being offloaded from let's say you've used the example of a painful disc herniation Mm -hmm. of that disc that's pain so if you can incline just a little bit and still rest your back against the backrest Mm -hmm. then away you go Um, one of the things that we find very helpful and I don't have any relation to the company other than I use their products is a a company called Embrace Air and they make a a product called the Lumbar Mm -hmm. And it's the most unique thing I've seen on the market because it's a low back support that has a pneumatic uh, air um, pocket inside of it. So you can now adjust it. And the same patient who may feel a little taller in the morning with a bit more disc height, and as the day wears on, they may find they need a little bit more or less lumbar support as the day progresses. But then from individual to individual, they can set it to themselves as well and, and pump it up with a bit more air to give it a bit more support or let the air out. So that's one product uh, that we, we really endorse because of its ability to adapt to a number of different people. And of course, if you get the small one that goes in your lumbar spine, 
you can then adjust that to any height you want. You're not limited by the range of the backrest height. You can literally put it in any position. And if you're, say, putting it in your car, which may have a softer backrest, now you can pump it up a bit more and give yourself a bit more support. So Great. there's a bit of a uh, sort of advice on products to buy, uh, though I don't want to make it too much of a commercial, but no, they're a terrific company. <laughs> So but what again, be... I, I have no conflict of interest with them. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't make any money off your lumbar. <laughs> Got it. Well, it's great to have a, any kind of recommendation for people who want to have this adjustable workstation. Um, but but aside from work, and we are we do spend a lot of time at work. But what should we be doing outside of our workday to keep our spines healthy? Well, you know, it can be as simple as going for a walk. A nice brisk walk, uh, very quickly paced with an arm swing, um, it is very uh, beneficial to a lot of back pain patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that is not only good for your back health, but it's good for what we mentioned right off the top, your cardiovascular health, weight management. Uh, it's sometimes, you know, we hear all these fads in the exercise world, and my training before uh, involved a number of different things, but kinesiology, uh, chiropractic, and then spine biomechanics, all, all of those things uh, really have a lot of fads that get followed by by some, and they make a lot of splash. But, you know, it's, it's not as complicated as it seems to be. Uh, some of the best research on uh, exercise says that you need about 20 to 30 minutes per day, and it doesn't even have to be all in one time spot Mm -hmm. so if you did three 10-minute walks that has been shown to reduce the risk of diabetes and heart disease and uh, helps you control your uh, uh, weight and Mm -hmm. weight management so um, my advice to you is keep it simple and and get out and do the things that you enjoy and uh, get get active so Mm -hmm. if that means parking your car a little farther from the subway or the bus stop, uh, or if you're, you know, doing a multiple commute, or, or a little farther from the office, and get that uh, walk around. The best thing you can do if you're sitting all day is on your 15-minute break in the morning, your 15-minute break at lunch or, or in the afternoon, and your hour break at lunch is go for three 10-minute walks. Mm-hmm. That would be, if I could get everyone who sits to do that, man, I would. <laughs> You know, we'd probably cut down a lot on our occupational-related low back pain. Yes. Um, I, I think a lot of people forget, especially, you know, people who are graphic designers, video editors who I've met, we we have this intense focus on our work and we forget that our body is necessary in order to get that work done. And so it's it's not all about sitting at your desk and getting the work done. Sometimes taking that 10-minute walk can be just as productive as sitting there through the pain. Oh, 100%. And even if you're not in a great deal of back pain, um, uh, coming to you from my experience as a scientist and sitting in front of computers for 8 or 9 or 10 hours a day processing data and and writing up uh, journal articles, Mm -hmm. gee, a a 10 or 15-minute walk is just so restorative to your mental capacity. You can... You can really maximize it. Sometimes we sit at work for so long because we're not being uh, mentally productive. So mm-hmm. anyway, it, 
it's not my area of research, but I can tell you anecdotally from a case study of one that uh, a 15-minute walk uh, is just incredibly restorative, not only to your back, but to your mental focus. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about in terms of optimizing our workspace? Well, I think that gives you a sort of a, the general overview if, if there's any specific questions to follow up, but I think that gives your listeners a good starting place. Okay, great. How can people connect with you? Well, um, most of my referrals come through uh, Dr. Stuart McGill's work uh, at BackFit Pro. Mm-hmm. There's also a, a book you can get from uh, Dr. McGill. It's called Back Mechanic, and it's meant to be written for patients. Uh, it, Professor McGill wrote his first textbook, and it was very dense and it was meant for all of us studying from him, mm-hmm. um, clinicians and, and different therapists. And then his next book was on um, athletic performance, ultimate back fitness. Mm-hmm. And this book is, is the first book he's written for the patient. Um, many of my patients say, oh geez, you know this book really helped me. I, I don't even need to see anyone anymore because of the information I got out of it. So mm-hmm. that would be a great resource for your listeners if they're struggling with their back and, and are struggling with the clinicians who spend five or ten minutes trying to sort out their back. They could take it upon themselves, read the book, and get some really great insights from Back Mechanic. Great. And yeah. your website? My website, like I said, you can get me through BackFit Pro under a provider list. Mm-hmm. And then the my personal website is Cambridge Sport and Spine. And then you can get some more information on me and what I do. I'm up uh, about 20 minutes from the airport in Toronto. So I joke and say that's actually the best place I could be because a lot <laughs> of my patients fly in from across Canada and the United States. Wow. So I, I'm, I'm sort of tethered to the airport for now. <laughs> well, Toronto's a beautiful place, so it's not, not terrible. Well, remind me where you're from. I'm in, in New York. I'm in New Rochelle, which is Westchester. Okay, well, um, I I can't, of course, divulge any information about any of my patients, but I can tell you that I've had about three from New York City in the last three months. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's something going on there in New York. (laughs) I think it's the intensity of the work. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, we we teach this stuff all over the place, too. If any of your uh, listeners are interested or, or, or are wondering why, uh, they've never or don't know about us. We we do teach this stuff. I was just down in Pennsylvania, down in the corner, southeast corner of Pennsylvania, a couple of weeks ago with some clinic docs who invited me down there, and um, we, we teach this stuff to clinicians all across the world, so they can find that information on the website too. Well, I think we'll end there. You've got lots of people to help, and I appreciate your time today. Thanks for being on the podcast. Well, I hope I, uh, I hope I was able to answer them to your satisfaction, and I had a great time, so thanks for having me on. And thanks for listening, everyone. I'm filmmaker, artist, and your host, Laura Mioli. You can connect with me, getting creative tips and inspiration on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Laudavision. And you can listen to more of these podcasts, read my blog, watch my videos, and contact me. Just go to laudavision.com. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and subscribe so you don't miss all new episodes. See you next time. 
clarity for your creative career combines perspectives from more than 20 accomplished artists. Use your creativity and resourcefulness to survive and thrive. Learn how your mindset and emotions can be used to your advantage and lead you towards clarity. Discover your ideal career based on past experiences to live a happy, healthy life. For more information, go to lauramioli.com forward slash book. Now available on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited. If you've thought about starting your own podcast, but you aren't sure where to start, or maybe you have a general idea, but you need help getting it off the ground, go on over to loudavision.com and check out my quick course on how to hone your concept, create, record, and share your very own podcast. It's all online so you can go at your own pace whenever and wherever you like. And if you use the coupon code LAUDA, L-O-U-D-A, I'll give you 10% off. 